Amen. Lord, that's so true that without you, we are totally lost. We're helpless and hopeless. Lord, we thank you that we are born again. We're new creations in Christ. We have the promise of heaven. Lord, we pray as we go to the word right now that you would minister to every heart that's here. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you're new here, don't go, oh, Deuteronomy, oh no. I promise you, you'll be blessed. Amen? It's in the Bible for a reason. I want to encourage you for Sunday, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the second half. We're going verse-by-verse through the New Testament on Sunday. We'll be in the second half of chapter 7. And those of you here last week, it's all about marriage and being single. It's really a great, great chapter. We looked at the first half last week. We'll be looking at the second half this coming Sunday. So I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, Deuteronomy, we're going to catch you up real quick because I love to do that. And the title of tonight's message is God's Faithfulness in the Midst of Difficulty, Trials, and Rebellion. You know, our God is a faithful God even when, it doesn't, even when we may feel like He's forgotten about us. Even when we may feel like we're going through a difficult time and, man, the Lord couldn't possibly know what I'm going through. He knows, He's faithful, He's God, He's in control. Amen? And it says in Psalms, If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. This is spoken about David, but it really speaks to the children of Israel and it speaks to us today. What he said was, we know that when we went through Genesis, we saw that man sinned and fell into sin and was separated from God. When we got to Exodus, we saw he was put into bondage, that there were the children of Israel in bondage for 400 years. And during that time, they were in rebellion against God. That's what landed them in bondage. But God, by His grace, sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. We know Moses is a type of whom? Jesus Christ, because He's the Deliverer. Again, He's not God in any way, but He was a Deliverer that set them free from bondage. Bondage being a type or a picture of sin, and Egypt being a picture of the world. Well, they left out of bondage in Egypt, and then they were in, as we looked in Leviticus, they came and they went through the Red Sea, and they were encamped at Mount Sinai, and there God gave them the law. The law is not given to us to save us, but to reveal our need for a Savior. Then we got to Numbers, and we looked at them wandering through the wilderness. And during that time in the wilderness... We saw that God had a perfect plan for them. We'll see that tonight. It was an 11-day journey from from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea to the doorstep of Canaan, right? The promised land. And we know that they got there, and when they got there, they were supposed to enter in. We'll talk about it tonight. And they rebelled against God and missed out on God's highest. So we come to Deuteronomy, and now that first generation has passed away, and now he's giving the second law to this next generation, those who are anywhere from age 1 up to 19. Every adult male age 20 or above died in in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness during that 40-year period. And they're all dead now, so he's got this new generation that he needs to prepare. He needs to deliver them the law, the same law he had given previously. And so last week we saw him begin to do that. And he shared again the the truth with them of, of what God had done for them and how they'd been delivered and how God had dwelt with them. But now as we get to chapter 2, he's sharing again about God's faithfulness in the midst of rebellion because Israel was in rebellion in the wilderness. For 40 years, they were in rebellion against God. He told them to go into the land of promise. They saw the giants in the land. The the walls were too high and they ran in the other direction. And they missed out on God's highest. And sadly today, 
There's a lot of people who walk around living faithless lives and miss out on God's highest. God had promised and set aside a specific land for the children of Israel. And, and that verse I quoted to you in the beginning, that though the people were rebellious, God was still going to be faithful. They were still going to enter into the land of promise, even though the older generation rebelled against God, God was still going to have them enter in. In Exodus 3, he says, And I come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land, to a good and a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place, and pay attention to this, of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God had promised not only to deliver them from bondage, but to deliver them into a place, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he said, if they obey my voice, then I'm going to, get, and I'm going to deliver them from their adversary, and here's the land I have for them. And he named the land. All the way back in Exodus, he told them, this is the land I'm going to give you. This is the area it's going to cover. And so they began to trek in that direction. As we know, they fell away from God. They rebelled against Him, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So now we come to Deuteronomy, like I said, and he reminds the younger generation, remember what God did for you guys. You've been three years old when it happened, but we passed through the Red Sea. Remember how God delivered us from our enemy behind us. Remember how God had us encamped in the cross. Remember how the pillar of fire led us through the wilderness. Remember how, you know, He spoke to us from Mount Sinai. Remember how Moses came down and delivered the law to us. Remember how we were hungry in the wilderness. He drained manna from the sky. Remember how we were thirsty. He brought water out of the rock. And He's telling all that to the next generation and preparing them to enter into the land of promise. And as I said last week, as parents... As adults, one of the greatest and highest callings we have is to deliver the truth to the next generation. Just like Moses is doing here. Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget, and that's what he's telling them. So we come to Deuteronomy chapter 2, and as we saw again last week, he reminded them of each of the things that God had done, and he ended up by telling them at the last portion of chapter 1, how they had, again, how God had delivered them, how God had blessed them, how God had been with them, but then how they rebelled. And he said, enter in, and they said, there's giants in the land. And then remember, the way that it ended was after they found out that because they didn't listen to God's voice and go into the land of promise, that now they were going to have to be in the wilderness. What did they do? They said, well, we'll, well, okay, well, now we'll fight them, right? God told them to go, and they said, no, now God says you can't go, and they said, we want to. Then that's not like us sometimes, right? God says, go, oh, well, no, I'm not ready. Then God says, okay, well, then you can't go. Well, no, now I want to go, and that's what happened here. They had a heart, you know, and they said, well, we got to go. And the Lord said, I'm not with you anymore. And they went up and they fought the Amorites. Again, I keep pointing this out because we're going to see that significantly in the chapter tonight. They fought the Amorites and they were tore up. It says they fled like bees, like there were bees coming up behind them and they ran away, scared to death from the Amorites. Why? They were a, a tribe that God had told them, or a people, a nation that God had told them they could be victorious over, but because they rebelled against God and they were faithless, they lost the battle, and then when they finally went up in their flesh, they lost. Same thing happens to us. We do things in our flesh, in our own way, in our own ability. It's going to be fruitless, but if we just trust God, He'll do great and awesome things. So let's begin in chapter 2 and verse 1, and I want to talk about the fact that God is faithful in the midst of of our faithlessness in the midst of our difficulty, our trials, and our rebellion. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe or to even trust that even in the midst of most dire circumstances that God's in control. Sometimes people will say, well, that's just a platitude. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me God's in control. I've heard that before. Don't you know what's going on in my life? God is as much in control in your life when everything's a disaster as when everything seems to be perfect in your eyes. 
And what is happening here with the children of Israel, God is truly in control. And He's teaching them through their difficult time because in the midst of our circumstances, it's when we grow and it's when God is most glorified. Instead of asking why when difficulty comes, we ought to ask what? Not why, Lord, is this happening, it's what, Lord, do you want to teach me? Amen? What do you want to teach me, Lord, and how might you be glorified in this? How do you want to work in my life? And that's really where we're coming tonight in this chapter, as he recalls her desert years and the results of rebellion. We're going to once again see the sovereignty of God as they encounter different people along the way. So we're going to see them encounter three different groups, actually four different groups of people. One, we're going to see the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. Then we're going to see the descendants of Lot, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And then finally, the Amorites that we talked about. We're going to see them yet again. So let's begin in verse 1 as he teaches the next generation. During a time of wandering in the wilderness, during a time of dryness, he's preparing them to enter into the land of promise. He's equipping that next generation for what is to come. Verse 1. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted the mountain long enough. Turn northward. Now, God had made a promise to them and He sent them away. And do you know that some believe, based on this scripture right here, that they didn't just wander through the wilderness, they literally wandered in just a perfect circle for 40 years. Around Mount Seir, just, uh, they played merry-go-round for 40 years. Unbelievable. And the entire time, it happened, why? Because they didn't heed God's voice. And God said, okay guys, you won't listen to me, then you're going to be left unto your own ways. And they went out into the wilderness, and they literally wandered around in a circle until everyone from the generation that rebelled against God died. Imagine how, how joyous that would be. You have three million people, you're wandering through the wilderness. We've talked about this, right? And you can imagine, Mo, you know, remember Moses? He had a three million whiner church, right? They're all whining, they're all moaning, they're all complaining, and they're all dropping dead left and right. I think Moses needed help just to do all the funerals that he had to do, right? I mean, literally every single adult male, over 600,000 of them died in a 40-year period. That works out to, one, to several every day. They're just dropping dead all over the place. And so during that time, they were not allowed to come near death, and God was really instilling in their hearts that sin has consequences, but God is still faithful, and God still wants to use that next generation. So they're going around in circles for 40 years on this 40-year death march, but God's not done with them. Rebellion had led to a life of dryness and fruitlessness. And again, they didn't know where to go. They went around in circles, and many Christians are doing the same thing today. They fail to take God at His word, and they're just kind of marking time on the merry-go-round of activity. You know, what, what are you doing with your life? Well, I'm just, I got stuff, and I'm doing this and that. How impactful is it on eternity? Well, I don't know, I, I, you know, but I got this on Tuesday, and this on Friday, and this on Thursday. And we fill up our calendar, and we don't think about eternity sometimes. And we're just marching around in a circle, kind of like the children in the wilderness, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And our life's not bearing any fruit. We haven't impacted anybody for the kingdom of God. We haven't shared our faith with one person. And again, I'm not trying to you know, lay something heavy on you. I'm trying to encourage you that we need to have eyes focused on eternity. Amen? What have we done this week that impacts eternity? What have I done today? Not you know, how, how long did I work out so I'll look good? Or you know, how hard did I work so how much money? I can? And again, those things are fine, done in moderation. But what have we done that impacts eternity? Is your life producing fruit? Are you having an impact on eternity? Are you simply following the Lord? Or are you just occupying your time on a merry-go-round of activity? And he tells them, you guys have been going around in circles long enough. Turn northward. Now, you think that I might have said, well, okay, that, praise the Lord for that, amen? I mean, can you imagine? 40 years, right? 
whole generation passes away and he says, turn northward, head toward God's original plan to the land of promise. Maybe he's telling us tonight, not turn northward, but look up. Now look up, get back on track. I know it's so easy to get consumed with kids and school and stuff and jobs. And, and he's saying, you know what, stop, be still, know that I'm God and get your eyes back on me. Again, we need to go to school, we need to go to work, we need to do those things, but let's do them with eyes focused on eternity. Let's do it in a way that's going to honor the Lord. Let's get back on track, verse 4. And command the people, saying, You're about to pass through the territory of her brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they are afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Okay, you're going to move toward the land of promise, but understand, as they head to the land of promise, distractions are going to come. And the same is true for us. We're headed to our land of promise, the ultimate land of promise, which is heaven. We talked about the land of promise being a picture of the Spirit-filled life heading over the Jordan, but at the same time, I believe that has an eternal significance of heaven. But along the way to doing what God has called us to do, there's a lot of distractions. And the same is happening. Children of Israel, they're headed to where God wants them to go, but there's going to be distractions all along the way. Things to get their eyes off of God. Do you know the only thing that children of Israel had to do? One thing. Follow. That's it. God brought the food. They didn't have to go. Nothing. The food came out of the sky, dropped by their tent. They get up in the morning, there's food right? There's food. Every day, get up, there's food. Water's there, right? They're, they're taken care of. All they had to do is look up, and when the cloud moved, oh, we got to go. And they just followed the cloud everywhere it went. And all they had to do was follow, and they messed that up. They messed it up. But we might say in our own lives, look at our own hearts, all God wants us to do is follow. Amen? If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. He said, just follow me. You know, it's not that complicated. You don't have to get your eyes on 47 different things. Just follow me. Just be in love with me. Just be a part of my bride. Seek after me with your whole heart. And so he says to this, he says, you know what? You're going to come along and they're going to be afraid, so watch yourselves. Now, who are these people, the descendants of Esau? Esau is the brother of whom? The twin brother of whom? Jacob. Jacob's name also is what? Israel. So Israel, the children of Israel, are the cousins of the descendants of Esau. 400 years earlier, you know the story, Jacob and Esau came out of the womb and, and God prophesied to Rebekah before the, he was even born, what? Great. What would happen? The younger, older would serve the younger. You remember that? And so what happened was he tricked his father, right? Jacob did. First thing he did was he got his brother to sell him his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now Esau, not real sharp, Okay. I don't care how good the soup is. You don't trade your birthright in, amen? Birthright is double the possess, you know, and you get the, and he traded it all because he was hungry, right? And so he trades it all in, and Esau wasn't the sharpest, you know, knife in the drawer. And so he, he trades it all away, and now he still has to get the blessing from his father, so they duped the father, and that brought division between Jacob and Esau, and Jacob had to run for his life. Remember that? He runs for his life. And so now this animosity 400 years later is still there. And the Edomites don't want anything to do with Israel. They're still angry. They ought to be welcoming them in. And instead, 400 years later, they're still going, man, my great, 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 whatever, great, 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 grandfather, and your great, great, you know, grandfather were fighting with each other, so we're mad at you, right? And so literally, they're going by their way, but at the same time, the Edomites knew that God's hand was on the children of Israel, so they were afraid of them. And he says, when you go by, they're going to be afraid of you. There's going to be fear. And according to Numbers 20, that Moses sent messengers to the king of Sodom, back in Numbers 20, and reminded them of their hardship in Egypt. He comes to them and he says, hey, 
You got, we're brothers. And you know what happened? Well, you know we were in Egypt for 400 years. We've been delivered out of bondage. And now we're hungry and we're thirsty. And we're headed to the place God has for us. Will you just let us go through your land? We promise we won't take anything. We won't take any food. You know, we won't touch anything. If anything, if our animals drink any water, we'll give you money for it. Can we just go through your property? That's all we want. We don't want anything from you. And he says this, coming, literally says to him, dear brother or brethren, we're not going to drink of your wells. We're not going to eat of your food. We're not going to even walk on anything but the actual hard ground itself. And instead, look how it says in verse 5. It says, don't meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So God said, you know what? Don't meddle with these guys. Don't fight with these guys. Don't bicker with these guys, because the land that they're sitting on belongs to them. Now, this is interesting to me. Esau was in rebellion, yet God still took care of him. Because Esau was still a child of the king. In a sense, right? He was, part, he was related to the children of Israel. And all those who were related to the children of Israel were blessed. God took care of them. God gave them an opportunity to know him, but the children of Israel were ultimately his children. So what happens here is, is that he, they come to them and he says, don't meddle, don't try to take their land. It belongs to them. And in God's sovereignty, he had given the land to Esau. It's interesting, when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 8, the Edomites get wiped out again by David and they still don't lose their land. It shows you that even in the midst of rebellion, even in the midst of, of our trials and difficulty, God is still faithful. God was faithful to his promise to Esau. And so he told Israel, don't touch the land, just go through. But sadly what happens is that they don't respond in a good way. The Edomites don't want anything to do with them. And, you know, he came, and Israel, I love this, though, that Israel was not just because they were the biggest, just because God was on their side, didn't mean they could do whatever they wanted to. They still need to listen to God's voice and, and walk in obedience to Him. Though bigger and stronger, and though Edom was afraid of them, Israel was out to receive what God had to promise them and nothing else. You know, for you and I today, we're to be led by the Lord. We're not to be led by our desires. Because, you know what, if they really wanted to, unless God just completely stopped it they could have gone and said we got more people than you we're bigger than you we're taking your land tough but the lord said don't the lord said i want you to listen to me that land belongs to them leave them alone you know we need to listen that still small voice as well in our own lives and not try to strive and take things that belong to someone else but lord what do you have for me that's all i want i don't want what you have for somebody else i want what you have for me how do we treat those who are weak when we are stronger than them god commanded israel to do to treat Edom well. And again, as Christians, we often spend too much time pursuing more than what God really has for us. Know, your, know what God's calling is in your life and pursue that with your whole heart. And don't worry about what somebody else has. Verse 6, he says, You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. So he's telling them, okay, you're going to go through their land, you're going to you know, go through their land, and you're going to ask for food, but you're going to pay for it. Now this is a change, because where has food been coming from up until now? From the sky. As God gets ready to lead them into the land of promise, He is maturing His children. He's saying, guys, now you're going to have to toil in the ground for your food. You're getting ready to go into the land of promise, you're going to fight some battles there, I need to raise you guys up and prepare you for what's next. Again, through difficulties and trials, we grow spiritually. And through this time, God's desire was that they would grow, that they would mature, that they would participate in what God desired to do with them. Verse 7. 
For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. God had graciously taken care of Israel and blessed them for their entire 40 years of wandering. Remember, that's 3 million people. He made sure 3 million people were fed every day for 40 years. He made sure 3 million people had enough water every day for 40 years. And he says, during that entire time, you have lacked nothing. 40 years of wandering, but God was with them. David later would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. David endured difficulty, but he never wanted. Do you know what? Our God promises to take care of our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. And he's faithful. And that's one of those promises that we need to learn to trust. Sometimes people just panic, I lost my job. Does God know you lost your job? Does God know the difficulty you're going through? Does God know about your health? Yes, He does. And God is still in control. And so instead of saying why, say how. Say what? What do you want me to learn, Lord? How do you want to use this for your glory? And these guys have been wandering in the wilderness, and they had been in rebellion, and yet God still provided for them because God is faithful. Even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our rebellion. God is faithful. He walks with us and he provides for us. Now watch, they encountered them, and when you look in the, in the numbers section, it tells, it tells you that the Edomites say, no, you can't come in here. You can't. Sorry. You're not walking through here. Go around. Now again, that's when your pride can get puffed up, right? You know, if, if someone is three feet tall and you're six foot five, and they're telling you go around, your pride's going to go, dude, look, I'm coming, you walking or crawling, I'm coming through there. Now, what do you, you, know, you know, that's kind of how our flesh responds, right? And Israel could have said, do you, know, do you have any idea who you're talking to, right? They could have said, did you see the big cloud up above us over here? Who do you think that is, right? Who do you think's on our side? Do you see the pillar of fire back behind us? Do you want some of that coming your way? Now, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And they didn't say, we're bigger, we're stronger, there's more of us, we're going to run over the top of you. What did they do? The, they said, go around. They said, okay. The Lord told us this land doesn't belong to us. If that's what we have to do, then that's what we'll do. Because we're going to obey God and we're going to follow Him. And it's not about our will, but thy will be done. Now we're going to look as he runs not to the descendants of Esau, but now the descendants of Lot. And again, it blows my mind. Now, Lot is called righteous Lot in the Bible. We'll talk about that in a minute because that's always been curious to me. But it tells me of God's grace. Amen? It's a picture of God's grace. Praise God. I'm righteous Dave. I can't believe that either, right? That's by God's grace, not because I'm holy or perfect, because I blow it, but I'm righteous by His shed blood, amen? Same with Lot. Let's take a look at verse 8 and 9. And when they passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Eloth and Ezon Geber, we turned and passed by the way of Moab. Then the Lord said, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now, the Moabites and the way that they came about into being is brutal. Let me just give you an update if you don't know. First of all, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Lot's following and traveling with Abraham. It was, by the way, we're not going to have time for it, but Abraham, I believe, blew it when he took Lot with him because God told him to get out of Ur and don't take anything with you, and he took his nephew. Didn't work out too well, okay? So he takes Lot with him, and we know what happens. They build up cattle, and, and then Lot... And Abraham, God speaks to me and says, you know, we need to split up. we got too much stuff. Lot, you can pick whichever side you want. I'll take the other one. And Lot looked down and saw the green grass, and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Not, not, not a good choice, right? Looks really green on the outside, and, and it's where we get the word sodomy. It's not a good place, right? 
rampant homosexuality. So he goes down there to live, and we know what happens. That God comes to him and says, if you can find 50, I'll save it. 25, 20, 10, 5, get out of there. I'm raining fire on the place, right? And Lot goes away, and when he goes away, what happens? His wife turns around, looking back longingly for, you know, oh, I love salt. I'm looking back and turns into what? Pillar of salt. Now, what happened at that point is Lot went up into a cave, and he had his two daughters with him. And his two daughters were concerned that maybe they would never have children because everybody in Sodom is now dead. And it's the three of them up in this cave, and so they get their dad drunk, and he sleeps with his daughters. And they both get pregnant. And one of the sons' name is Moab, and the other son's name is Amnon. And guess what? That's where we get the Moabites and the Ammonites. Moab literally means of his father. Didn't even try to hide it. Didn't even try to hide it. This is the son by my dad. That's literally what it means, right? And Ammon, it, Ammon also means, means seed of my father. Same thing. Both of them, these children were born. So God tells them they're coming along, and they might have thought in their mind, oh, these are Lot's kids. That's a train wreck up there, right? God, no doubt God wants me to just wipe that off the face of the earth, right? God wants to just remove that stuff. Let's start, I mean, Lot, come on, right? They get there, and God says, don't touch them. Now, can you imagine how hard it would be to be patient? Here you are, you got Almighty God with you. You're headed to the land of promise. You've been waiting 40 years. You're now the generation. It's time, right? You go by the first one, you're like, okay, those are our cousins. We'll let it slide, all right? Now you get to the next group. Now, come on, these are Lot's kids. Certainly, Lord, we can tear them up, right? Lord says, no, don't touch them. Now, again, our pride again, and, our, and, and the way that we can respond is we can get very impatient with God. How many of you struggle being patient with God? Raise your hand. I want to be married right now, right? I want to have children right now. I want to promote you right now. But Lord, give me patience right now, right? <laughs> doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. God wants us to be still and wait and know that he's God. And so he says here, no, these are not, don't touch these guys either. I want you to just go right on by them. You know what? None of them deserve kindness, but they received it. Why? Because they were related to one who was righteous. Why did the Moabites and the Ammonites receive favor? Because they were related to righteous lot why did esau and the, the children the edomites receive favor because they were related to jacob abraham isaac and jacob god's chosen tribe why do you and i find favor with god because we are children of the most righteous amen we are the bride of christ it's not because of what we've done but who we're related to the same reason that these guys didn't face the wrath of God because they were related to one who was righteous, so you and I will not face the wrath of God because we too are children of the King, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not our good deeds, but who we're related to, amen? Christian mean, what does Christian mean? Little Christ, of Christ, amen? We're not, we're not God, but He lives in us, amen? And without Him we could do nothing. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so it's who we're related to. So the Lord says, those are related to me. Don't touch them. They're related to righteous lot. You leave them alone. And so they go by. And so God, again, we don't deserve kindness. We deserve judgment. But praise God again that He's a gracious God. And because we're related to Him, He's so merciful toward us. And so instead of growing impatient, God tells them, you just move right on. Now look what it says here in verse 10. The Emim have dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. Who remembers who the Anakim are? They were what? Giants. 
and the Emim, these are just different names, Emim, they're just different names for giants. Why did they not go into the land of promise? Remember they sent, ten, they sent 12 spies in, right? 10 spies came back and said, there's what? Giants in the land. We can't go in there. They'll tear us up, right? And so they all ran away. It says, we're like grasshoppers to them, and they ran away. Isn't it interesting that it says also in the land of the Moabites, there were giants in the land. Let's read on, verse 11. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. Verse 12, the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord gave them. Guess what? Not only did the Moabites have giants to deal with, so did the Edomites. And guess what? Both of them wiped out the giants in their land. What would that do to the children of Israel as they're passing by? What would that be? An encouragement. They're getting ready to go into the land of promise, Canaan, and what's waiting for them? Giants in the land, high walls in the land, and they're passing along and they're seeing those who God is showing favor to, even though they don't deserve it, and they find out that each person they pass by, each tribe or each nation they pass by, have wiped out the giants in the land. And they've done it without Almighty God in their presence. They've got Almighty God in their presence, they're headed to the land of promise, and they're going, man, these guys are just related to somebody who knew God, and He blesses them. What's going to happen with us? God's going before us. God's going with us. Man, it should have been a great encouragement to them. We should be encouraged to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? You plus God is the majority. If God is on your side, you have nothing to fear. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And that's everybody who's in the world. The Horites were not only giants, but these guys were cave dwellers. And the Edomites came, Edomites came in and wiped them out. Why? Because God showed them favor. Verse 13. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. Now when they crossed over the valley of Zered from the, the counted numbers, we know that there was only three left of all of those who were over the age of 20. Everyone else was dead. The three that were left was Moses, who else? Joshua and Caleb. Why are Joshua and Caleb going to get to go into the land of promise when nobody else is? They were the two spies who came back with the favorable report, remember? They sent 12 spies in, and Joshua and Caleb came back and said, dude, we'll light them up, let's go. God's on our side, let's go get those guys. God already told us the land belongs to us. Let's go get them, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the size of these grapes, right? And what happened? The other ten go, oh dude, they'll kill us. And so they all ran away. God said, okay, all of you guys, because you're rebelling, you're going to wander in the wilderness until you die, but these two guys are going to enter in with me. Okay? And so verse 14, and the time we took from... The time to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Sometimes people really struggle with why is it that God would consume anybody. Can I tell you that when I look at stuff like this, my thoughts are the exact opposite. Why would God save anybody? You know, we're all sinners. How many of you think you deserve heaven based on your good works? Don't put your hand up. What do we deserve? We really do. I mean, you know, I'm a liar. I've lied. How many of you told a lie before? If your hand's not up, you're lying right now, right? Amen? 
So we're liars and we're thieves. You know, we've lusted our heart, we've committed adultery, and we've done all these wicked things, and sometimes we look and we think, man, that's just not fair, but those guys got consumed. Remember that God, what all God had done for them, and they still missed it. He was leading them with the pillar of fire. He was dropping fire, he was dropping food down from the sky. He had opened up the Red Sea and they walked through it. They saw Moses come down and he was glowing so much he had to veil his face. They heard God speak from the mountain. Water was coming out. They saw God's mighty hand. The pillar was there. The Shekinah glory was in their presence. And they got there and they still said, oh no, we're not going. And then we wonder why. Well, why did they? Well, because they rejected God's plan for them. They rejected God's path into the land of promise. For us today, it's the cross. What have you done with the cross? What have you done with Jesus? Are you following him? If we reject him, then we reap the consequences of it. Look at verses 16 through 23. We're going to move on now to the Ammonites, again, born of incest. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people. So they're all dead except Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished among the people that the Lord spoke to me saying, this is the day you are to cross over at at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Again, they could have started to go, are we ever going to get, where's our stuff? Everywhere we go, you say, don't touch these people. And again, we can get frustrated saying, God, where's our stuff? God, where's my, you know, Lord, I've been waiting. I've been faithful. How come I have to wait? Because when we wait, we grow. When we wait, we get to see God's hand. God is faithful, even in the midst of our trials and our difficulty and our rebellion. Verse 21. Verse 20, excuse me. That also regarded as the land of giants. Guess what? More giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zazumim. Okay. As a people, great and numerous, as tall as Anakin, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place. So God wiped out the giants in the land of the Ammonites. The Ammonites were children of incest, and they were children who were not walking or following God, and God still blessed them. Because God is faithful, even in the midst of our rebellion, He's faithful to His word. Verse 22, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them, they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim who dwelt in the village as far as Gaza and Katharim, and it came to Kaptur, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Again, every place where there were giants in the land, he destroyed the Anakim, he destroyed the Horites, he destroyed the Avites. God brought down the enemy and gave ability to be victorious. And God has given us that same ability to live victorious lives as Christians. We're not defeated foes. Israel had God's promise to give them the land, and now numerous examples of God's mighty hand against giants all around them should have been an encouragement to them. They should have been excited. Okay, look, we've seen God. He's faithful even to those who are not His children. How much more is He going to be faithful to us? Last portion here. Let's take a look. Verse 24 through 37. And we're going to take a look now at Israel's encounter with the Amorites. Remember, who did they run from? Who did the previous generation run away from? The Amorites. We're right back where we started. You know what? If we deny God and walk away from God's plan, we're going to end up right back where we started. And that's exactly what happens. 38 years later, they're right back in the exact same spot. Verse 24. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hands Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land, begin to possess it, and engage him in battle. 
This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So remember, he's telling this to the next generation. He's telling them that, okay, God's plan now is to enter into the land of promise. The Amorites were located on the western shore of the Dead Sea, just north of where the Edomites were located. And God had promised them the land. Remember when I told you in the beginning? He named all the lands that belonged to them. He did not name the Ammonites. He did not name the Moabites. He did not name the Edomites. But he did name the Amorites. Remember from from back in Exodus. So God had told them, that's going to be your land. So when they got there, they should have known if they knew what the word said. And so they show up an Amorite. It's interesting. The Amorites were descendants of Noah's son, Ham. Now, you guys know that we're here during Genesis, that Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right? The, the Israel, the Jews are, are descendants of whom? Shem, Shem okay? The, most of the Arab nations are descendants of Ham, and most of the European nations are descendants of Japheth. And what's interesting is the Hamites were, were enemies of the Shemites, or where we get the word now, Semites, right? Even back then, all those thousands of years ago, enemies of each other. And so we see here that the Amorites, it's interesting, Amorite means bitterness or rebellion. And they were such a wicked, vile people that God finally was going to bring judgment upon them. As born-again Christians, we're going to be faced with these same enemies, the enemies of bitterness and rebellion. As we walk in His Spirit, we should have victory over them. You know what? Bitterness and rebellion should not be things in the life of a believer. Amen? We shouldn't be bitter. What do we have to be bitter about? Are you going to heaven? Amen? Well, that was weak. Are you guys going? Am I going by myself? You guys going to heaven? Amen. All right. Okay. Just making sure. Because you know what? Sometimes we get so focused on the world that we forget about the fact that we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen? And where we spend eternity is really what matters. And so these Amorites had been rebellious against God. Their name means bitterness, and it means rebellion. And he said, fear and dread will come upon all the nations who hear of their victories or what their God has done. Remember, we say this all the time, without a test, you can have no what? Testimony. He's saying because you are going to go into battle, and because God in the midst of that battle is going to do great things, it's going to be a testimony to the entire world. Because you go through difficulty and God is going to do great things in the midst of them, you are going to have a testimony. I have, again, God chooses to heal some and He chooses not to heal others, but I've literally prayed with people that have been given days to live and they've, and they've recovered completely. I've prayed with others given days to live and they went to heaven. And whatever God chooses to do, that's, that's up to Him, amen? For His glory. But I have seen people where they say, you've got days to live and you go in the hospital and you pray for them, head-to-toe cancer, and, you know, two days later, they're not in the hospital anymore. Because our God can do that, amen? But He does it for His glory, not for ours. And so we see here that, again, that the, the, these God has a plan and, and a test is for a testimony. If that person never got cancer, they never have a chance for it to be a testimony of God healing them from it. If we never went through difficulty with our job or our finances, we would never be a chance to have a testimony from it. And if they didn't go into battle, there would be no chance for them to be a testimony that would come from it. This last time they saw the Amorites, they were running away from them. The same enemy, but this time. Remember when they went up against the Amorites last time? They said, we're going to go fight them. The Lord said, don't do it. If you go, you're going by, going by yourself. I'll see you when you get back. All right? And they went up and they got whipped and they came back. Right? This time, God's going with them. And that's the key to making a, a defeat into a victory. When we walk with God, we're going to win 
any battle. Verse 26, And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land, and I will keep strictly to the road. I will turn neither to the right or to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat. Give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me until I cross over the Jordan and the land which the Lord our God is giving us. So, he asked them politely. The Lord, what did the Lord tell him to do? Go out and fight them. And what did he do? He went up and he just asked permission. Hey, we just want to pass through your land. We don't mean you any harm. We just want to pass through. We're not asking for anything. Israel did not initiate the battle. They made a simple request to buy provision and to pass by without harm. Look at verse 30. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let them pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. Now, Sihon means striking down or rooting out. And he would not heed Israel's request and instead, and instead, if you look at Numbers 21, he attacked them. Now, some people again struggle with God hardened his heart. Who else's heart did he harden? Pharaoh. And people struggle with that. Wait a minute, he hardened his heart? That doesn't seem fair. He's hardened his heart and then he brings judgment. How many times does it say in the text, I don't know the exact number, but a dozen or so times it says in the text that Pharaoh hardened his heart first, right? Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and finally God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. The same is true of Sihon. He was an evil, wicked man who wanted nothing to do with God. He was an idol worshiper who repeatedly hardened his heart, and finally God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. The same is true today when people are told about the love of Jesus Christ and say, I don't need it. Jesus died on the cross for you. Now, that's fine. That's good for you. Great. God bless That's wonderful. Go ahead. Go for you. But he loves you. I don't need it eventually God is going to give people what they ask for. He will never force himself on anybody, but I also know that he did not force Sion to rebel either. This was Sion's choice, his will, his desire, and God just said it in concrete. Okay, if that's what you want, fine. And he let him do it. Again, why did he do it? That his will might be done. Like Pharaoh, God simply let Sion have what he already wanted. God did not change his mind from good to bad, but hardened his heart right where it was. Take comfort that when we walk in the center of God's will and we face heavy opposition, it's all part of God's plan. Remember, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's all part of what God wants to do. Verse 31, And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion and his land and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit it. Then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So he defeated him, his sons, and all his people. Who won the battle? The Lord did. Who does it say won the battle? God did. It's not us striving or trying harder or doing better that allows us to be victorious in our walk with God. It's when we trust in Him and turn our lives over to Him. It says in Numbers 21, that they defeated him with the sword. What is the sword a representation of in the Bible? God's word. So with the sword, they were victorious over rebellion and bitterness. Because that's what Amorites mean. Rebellion and bitterness. So how are you and I going to have victory over rebellion and bitterness in our own life? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? It's God's word. The more time we spend in God's Word, the more that we are going to not struggle with bitterness. The more we're not going to struggle with rebellion in our own heart. 
We need, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and it's what transforms our lives. What did Jesus answer Satan's temptations with in the wilderness? God's word. And we know that, I showed you last week, all three passages came out of what book of the Bible? Deuteronomy. The most quoted book in the New Testament by Jesus Christ is Deuteronomy. That's why we study all of God's word. How can you and I walk in victory over, over rebellion and bitterness and temptation by being in the word, the only offensive weapon? We're almost done. Last few verses. We took all his cities and all that, and all that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. Now, how many of you struggle with this? They killed all the kids? Yes, they did. Amorites fought against God and they lost everything. They were one of seven nations that were so filled with wickedness and iniquity that God eradicated them completely from the face of the earth. This also happened to the Amalekites later. Why did God do this? I'll be honest with you, I don't fully grasp it, but I do know this. I do know that God is righteous and holy and faithful. Amen? And God is a just God. But I also know this. If they had left some of them alive, wouldn't it have been a temptation and a struggle for them later to, to start becoming more like those people? Every time you put the children of Israel with ungodly people, what happens to them? They become ungodly every time. We're going through 1 Corinthians right on Sunday morning. What's happening in the church in Corinth? They're becoming like the Corinthians, right? They're becoming evil and idol worshipers and sexual immorality and all this stuff is rampant in the church because they're becoming like those they hang out with. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at who you're hanging out with. That's who you are. Your friends are a depiction of who you are. If you're hanging out with people on fire for God, chances are that's where you're at. But if you're hanging out with the world, you're going to become like the world. And so he said, you know what? You cannot compromise with this stuff. You've got to eradicate it completely. God is also faithful, though, with children who have never had a chance to know Him. I believe that babies and those who die without any, any understanding of who Christ is at a young age, before the age of accountability, go straight into the arms of our Savior. And I believe that can be the greatest blessing is to take someone out of that godless situation like God did. So praise the Lord for that. Verse 35, we took only the livestock and the plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city which is in the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Do we see a little different in this new generation here? The previous generation ran from everybody, and these guys say, nobody's too strong for us. Why? Because God's on their side. If God is for us, who can be against us? No city's too strong. And it's interesting, the word there for strong is actually too high. No city is too high for us. What did the spies say when they went into Canaan? They have cities with great what? Great high walls. And these guys are going, you know what? Our God's great. There's no city too big for us. There's nobody too strong for us. There's no wall too high for us because God is on our side. And God is greater than anything the world has to offer. The same heart that was in David when 11 foot 750, 11 feet tall, 750 pound Goliath, came down 40 days and 40 nights and, char- and challenged the army of Israel. And every time they all, they were scared to death, right? And then David comes along delivering cheese to his brothers. This is a fact, right? Teenager bringing cheese to his brothers. And he hears this guy down there who will deliver, you know, who's the you know, guy that will deliver you out of my hands? You know, I dare you to come, right? And David goes, who's this guy, Right? Does he know who he's fighting with? They all saw 11 foot 750 against a man. He saw a mere man against Almighty God. He said, you know what? God's going to deliver you into my hands. And he went down there with five rocks. People say, what, he didn't have faith? No. Goliath had four brothers. And when you fought one and killed one, you had to kill the whole family. David said, well, there's five of them. I need five rocks. Because God's on my side, right? 
And he went down and he slayed Goliath. And see, the reason is that why? He understood who was on his side. When you're going through difficulties in life, remember who's on your side. When you're having health problems, who's on your side? You're having problems in your marriage, who's on your side? You're having problems with your kids, who's on your side? Who loves you? Who loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you? You're not alone. I was at a counseling session today and my heart just broke as this young person was just telling me, you know, I I don't want to, and I'm like, God loves you but I've done too much for God to love me. No, you haven't. And no, you can't. Did you know that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? He's a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. They didn't go where God forbid. They went where God led. And when you go where God leads, victory will always be there. Not walking with the Lord. They're now walking with the Lord, walking by faith, and the walls are falling down and the enemy's being defeated. Verse 37, Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok or the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. This is the key to having a walk with God that is fruitful. Going where He says to go, but not going where He says not to. Right? This is it. Go where He says to go, and there'll be fruit. And when He says don't go there, then don't. But wait, my circumstances are a little different, Pastor Dave. You don't understand. I know what the Bible says, but you know I got a unique situation over here. No, the Lord says don't. Don't do it. Follow me. So, in review, God's faithfulness in the midst of difficulty, trials, and rebellion. Though God's people rebelled, He remained faithful to His covenant promises. Because even when we're faithless, He's faithful. Amen? We can trust God to be faithful to His Word, both in our walk here and now, and the promise of eternity to come. God's faithful in His Word. We've seen it. Every prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled that has come to pass. All of them 100% accurate. Prophecy yet to come, we can trust it. We can trust God to be faithful to His Word. We also can walk with the Lord. We can take comfort that when we face heavy opposition, it's all part of God's plan. And through it, we will grow and He will be glorified. In closing, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that we're not alone in this walk. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. We thank you that we can trust in your word. We can trust in your promises. We thank you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Help us, Father, to walk steps of faith, to trust you, to look at your word and believe everything that it says. Lord, I pray that we would not run away from the obstacles before us. And Lord, we would not charge into the things you don't want us to go near. Father, may we walk so close to you that we can hear you whisper. The whisper of your Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing us. So Father, we love you, we praise you, and I do pray. If there's anybody here tonight going through a real difficult time, in the midst of a trial, maybe struggling with rebellion in their own heart, I pray, Lord, that they would know that you're a faithful God. And while we can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Tonight, I pray we would take that step to be renewed to right fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Let's stand and close the worship song.